Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. Ah, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? I really appreciate, as I always like to start out every podcast, by showing appreciation for all of you. And I really appreciate all of you in that you guys are continuing to keep this as the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate agents in at least the United States. It's pretty exciting to see um, the fact that the podcast is expanding and get, picking up so many new listeners. It's because you guys are sharing the podcast with other agents. And I really appreciate that. The other thing that's kind of interesting is I can look into the statistics and I'm looking into uh, the fact that there's quite a few of you that listen on a regular basis that aren't even in the real estate business. And that's kind of exciting too. And of course, um, 56 different countries. Um, we have listeners in 56 different countries now. So that's exciting as well. And I'm not sure it's just because maybe the content's good, what we're presenting, or I think really what the heart of the reason that most of you guys listen is because you're really looking for, I think, a lot of clarity into what you should be doing in your business and occasionally your personal life as we, you know, talk about that on occasion as well, but primarily you're in your business because it is very confusing nowadays to know what to focus on and know who to listen to, to know what to really do. There's so much conflicting information out there. And I think a lot of you guys have found us usually after you've essentially uh, <laughs> swam in the shark infested waters of all these people that are trying to sell you stuff, you know, and we talk about that a lot on the podcast. And I'm not going to drill down on that now. You guys can, longtime listeners, you can hear me resisting climbing up on my soapbox. But for those of you who are uh, new to the podcast, I'll suggest you just go back and listen to the old podcast and you'll get the gist of it. But really, at the, at the end of the day, whether you're in the real estate business or frankly any business, the highest and truest purpose of any business owner, and the reason a business owner will or won't succeed at the end of the day, is because they have either have or have not embraced the concept that they're purpose on this planet and the purpose of their business is to be of service to other people. Now, I know that seems maybe a little overly simplistic, but it's the truth. And if you don't, let's just drill down to real estate folks. If you don't have the quality of life you have, the business you want, the success you want, if you don't have the financial security you want, if you don't have basically, you know, the life that you want, it's because you're still not yet embracing, and maybe it's because no one's told you so, you know, in your defense, I'm telling you now, so you'll have heard this, and so you won't have that excuse not no, of not knowing anymore. But there's a direct correlation between the level of, you know, essentially everything that you're able to experience on this planet and the number of people that you help. Or put it another way, there's a direct relationship between the goals that you will personally accomplish and your ability to help others accomplish their goals. And that's really the simplest truth with that, if you really, really cut through why somebody's more successful than somebody else, it's just because they have helped more people accomplish whatever their individual goals were. And the nice thing about real estate is it's very clear what the goal is, right? The goal is to buy a house. The goal is to sell a house. The goal is to make the process as smooth and pain-free as possible. And the more you do that, the more of everything you're going to have. And by everything, I do mean the materialistic stuff. You know, we're not uh, unabashed about it being okay that you're a spiritual entity and a physical incarnation. And as such, you do need stuff. So don't be ashamed of wanting stuff. That's perfectly fine. And you might as well want the nicest stuff that you'll allow yourself to afford. 
I chose those words wisely, allowing yourself to afford. That means that if you're in the mood or if you're in the mode of thinking about like changing, maybe it's a new year. And one of the things we talk about in our book is one of the great things to do when there's a flip of the year is to consider upgrading everything. By upgrading everything, I mean that literally, your house, your clothes, your, you know, your real estate brokerage. And by the way, if you want to talk to Julie and I about joining EXP Realty, we'd love to be your sponsors at EXP Realty. If you want to talk about this, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206. But this is the perfect time of year to be upgrading everything. And in upgrading everything, one of the best things you can possibly do for yourself is um, not wait until the uh, until next year. Because when you, right now we have this nice little, you know, these holidays, right? And these holidays are like sanctioned time off, you know? It's almost like mandatory that you take time off and spend time with your family, which if you're somebody like me, who's mostly, you know, uh, I think a, a squirrel on crack, basically. I, and some of you guys are like that too. Guys and gals are like that as well. Well, I love the holidays because it does give me sort of forced downtime. And I think a lot of you feel the same way. Um, now, of course, forced downtime and taking off too much time, that's where you have to be very careful because you take too much time, then you got to build your momentum back. But during these, I think, these more family-focused times of year, you really should be giving yourself a break and you really should be allowing yourself to sort of set yourself free of the sense of overwhelm and stress that maybe you've been unknowingly carrying around unnecessarily throughout this whole year. And as and that's what this uh, this week's podcasts have all been about, because I was getting a lot of emails and Julie was as well and from our coaches and from our clients and just from everything, the nature of how a lot of you guys were communicating, there seemed to be a heightened level of stress and overwhelm. And I understand, right? Obviously, this year was without having to run, run down the checklist of, you know, bizarreties that happened this year. The reality of it was this was a very stressful year for everyone, whether it was directly stressful for you. I know a lot of our coaching clients had their best years financially, um, but the reality of it was is you were still swimming in the waters again with a lot of folks that weren't having their best years ever, and you were the news from the election cycle. And blah, 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 blah. There was just so much negative that was out there this year. It is. It would be um, very unusual if you hadn't absorbed an, a, a higher level of that than you might think. And I, by that, I mean the stress and the overwhelm and just all the sort of negativity that has been floating around this year. Now, without overanalyzing it, without thinking about it, without even being, you know, anything, just accept the fact that you probably do need to take a, a you know, hit the hard reset in your own life and your own thinking, allow new software to upload. And again, go back and listen to the, since last Sunday, go back and listen to the podcasts and hopefully I've walked you through some techniques. Uh, it was roughly the same uh, path that Julie and I take when we're personally coaching somebody and we teach all of our coaches to coach someone. It's not just enough to say, have a morning schedule, set goals. That by itself is very shallow. You have to dig deeper into it and you have to sort of move some stuff around in your attic and in the way you're thinking and your mindset. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to roll into next year. You're still going to be carrying around a lot of this sort of emotional burden, and it's going to cloud your ability to think clearly about the opportunities that uh, lay in front of you. Now, here's the, I think, something that's extraordinarily exciting, and hopefully you guys feel the same way. We are undoubtedly entering into what's going to be the best era. Maybe it's a decade. Maybe it's five years. Maybe it's 20 years. I really don't know in the real estate industry. And for just a whole variety of reasons, there's going to be some incredible, and I'll just give you guys the biggest word that scares agents, but also the biggest reason that you guys should be optimistic and excited is there's going to be so much disruption that's going to be going on that's going to create opportunity. A lot of the, you know, essentially if you got in the real estate business today and you wanted to go to some market where, let's say, for example, 
there was a very well entrenched number one, number two, and number three agent. And let's say most of the, these three agents took most of the listing inventory, and that's usually how most mature markets work. Well, when there's a, a market, when there's an industry, when there's an economy that's basically going through a change, it's usually those, uh, essentially those uh, agents that are entrenched like that, that are the slowest to react and that gives you an opportunity to slip in and get market share. And I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and forgive me for talking about uh, Julie and I, but I mean, it's the best example, frankly, I can think of. Julie and I started out selling real estate in a normal price range in Columbus, Ohio. I think our average sale price, remember this was back in the 90s, guys, so put this in perspective. I think our average sale price was like 210 or something, which is amazing because now the average sale price in the country, I think, is like 320 or something. So that's really incredible. But we wanted to move, we wanted a new challenge. And so what we decided to do is we decided to move essentially across town and we wanted to start selling real estate in this new area that was absolutely gorgeous. And if you guys are in Central Ohio, go check out New Albany Country Club area. It's unbelievably beautiful. And so we wanted to sell real estate there. We wanted to live there. That was for us, that was the height of what we wanted our real estate careers to be. So we did. And we moved out there at the same exact time that the market was starting to transition into more of a buyer's market. It had been a super hot seller's market. And we and that's when, you know, essentially there was very well entrenched brokers and agents and they all sort of controlled the market. Well, Julie and I moved out there when the market was transitioning more to a buyer's market. There were starting to be some expireds. And guess what we did? We went after the expired listings and we started taking listings. And I don't remember what year it was, but we rolled into the spring market and we had the most active listings because while other agents were taking time off and basting their turkeys and whatever and dropping off their pumpkin pies and all that sort of thing, Julie and I were uh, calling expireds. We were actually doing the real work of real estate and we were getting contracts signed. A lot of the contracts we had signed were going to be going active after the holidays, but still there were contracts signed. And so we were able to put all these listings for sale at the same time. And I remember at that point, we really surprised the market. And here's the other thing we discovered. A lot of the sellers were incredibly receptive to guess what? Somebody that was going to come in and disrupt the market because they wanted more options. They were tired of going from agent A, agent B, agent C and hearing and experiencing virtually the same thing. So when we rolled to town and we were presenting the way we were presenting and doing what we were able to do, that's when we started to uh, really become dominant in that particular market. Now that's the same pattern that you can follow too. I'll tell you guys another story. Another reason why you should be excited about disruption. Now I'm trying to counterpunch the fear and loathing that comes from, you know, essentially Inman mostly. And, and you guys know we love Brad Inman and his, uh, the company he has, but his articles usually are essentially focused on tech companies, which are interesting, definitely. And a lot of the tech companies are, you know, thinly disguised, trying to disintermediate agents, trying to essentially in some way get a piece of your real estate commission, usually through selling you leads. And so that's, you know, causes a lot of uh, consternation in the industry. Well, I'll give you another example how disruption can be your friend if you look at it that way. Great coaching client in Hawaii. His name was Howard Kozine. Can't believe I remembered his last name. And he was a um, great realtor, did not want to work 12 months of the year. And so his market in Hawaii, and Hawaii is one of those markets that when it has a crash, it's a big one. And so he was wanting to pick up market share in this particular market during the crash. And, and again, it was a situation where there were well entrenched agents and he couldn't get any, it was really tough to get any listings in there because, you know, he wasn't one of the top three most dominant agents based on, you know, for sale signs and actual transactional volume. Well, the market shifted. Same situation we had in New Albany. Market shifted. He was able to go in there and go after the expireds. He was able to actually start picking up listings that these other agents weren't. 
um, and he started taking listings. He started, and then short, shortly thereafter, he said within like 12 months, he became the most dominant listing agent in that particular market. Robert Johnson, Greenwich, Connecticut, somebody who also was a longtime coaching client. Um, he is uh, now, I believe, the number one, well, I know he's the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut with his real estate, uh, or with his, um, yeah, his particular broker. But I also believe he's the number one agent in New York City as well with the same brokerage just based on his transactional volume and his dollar volume in Greenwich. Last year, I think he did 140 or 60 million. I don't remember. Um, I should know that since I personally coach him, right? <laughs> well, so uh, Rob, same thing. He started selling real estate in Greenwich, Connecticut uh, back when the market, now it's incredibly hot. And this is only six years ago when he started selling, maybe seven, something in there. But the market was very much a buyer's market. He then went in there and he started picking, doing the real work of real estate. He started doing the things that the other well-entrenched agents wouldn't do. And guess what now has happened? Well, I already told you, he's now the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut. So the point of what I'm trying to tell you is even if your market starts to transition, don't be fearful. Don't believe what the masses tell you about, you know, you can only make money when the market's going one direction. When you hear about the tide shifting, be excited because most other people won't know what to do and you will. And it always comes down to the thing I started out with today. If your highest and truest, if you acknowledge and you're in alignment with your highest and truest purpose on this planet, which is being of service to other people, if you truly at least feel that way, then the next natural thing that's going to happen is you're going to want to backstop that thought with actual skills. And once you have the actual skills or while you're learning them, ideally, then you're going to start essentially living that life that you would actually always wanted for yourself because you've decided to actually earn it. You've decided to actually do uh, what you didn't want to do when you didn't want to do it at the highest level, opposed to trying to shortcut it, hack it, and all the other things that are very trendy right now in real estate. Social network to it, you know, you're trying to act like in a TikTok video that you're successful when you're not. All this Mickey Mouse that has perpetuated the industry for really going on 12 or 13 years, you're going to see, as Julie and I have been saying, as we said in our book, as we said on our podcast, as we've been saying forever, those things are just trends and those trends are rounding the bend and those things are going to come to an end. And who are the agents that are going to have the dominant market share? The ones that have the skill set. And that's the way it's always been, by the way. In every market transition, there's always been a bunch of, you know, back in the 90s, into the 2000s, it was branding, it was geofarming, it was, and then all of a sudden, internet lead generation started kicking in. That was in the, really in the late 90s, early 2000s. All those things come and go, come and go. And the agents that are left uh, standing, the agents that actually have the market share are the agents that have the skill set and have the mindset that I was just describing to you. These are facts. You can learn the hard way, but I just, you know, I hope you don't choose to learn the hard way because, you know, the simple fact is, is there's more agents failing faster in the real estate industry, at least in the United States, than there ever has been before. More agents failing faster, even though there's the advent of all these different companies that are supposedly in the industry to help agents with their businesses. All these CRMs, guys, they didn't exist 15 years ago. All these lead buying services didn't exist 15 years ago. Teams had always been around, but they weren't like pushed on agents as something you had to do. Branding had always been around, but it was seen as what it really is. It's just sort of a flight of fancy for the most part that maybe you do or maybe you don't do after you've actually established yourself as a with a great reputation of accomplishing, you know, home sales for your clients, right? 
So all this stuff is sort of topsy-turvy right now. Everything's sort of backwards, but it's all going to straighten itself out starting next year. So if you want to have your head straight, if you want to have your money right, you're going to have to be willing to do what others aren't willing to do when they're not willing to do it. That's the secret. It's not that hard. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's kind of peaceful because you know exactly what you need to do. You're going to have exact directions on uh, where you're supposed to go. And I think all of you guys should be excited about that. So the theme of the podcast this week, and this being Friday is the rounding of it, um, is basically how to get past feeling overwhelmed. And really overwhelmed could be, that word's the same as feeling stressed. So I'm going to go on to point number nine. And now point number nine is something that Julie and I um, started talking about in coaching, I don't even know how long ago, probably 1991. Um Somewhere, no, no, I'm sorry, not 1991, probably 1999 or 2000, 2001. We had this concept of a brain dump. And a brain dump is simply where you write on it. So, point number nine is do a daily brain dump. And this definitely does help. So, you write down everything that's in your mind. And that way, you're trying your best to clear everything out of your mind. That way, at the end of the day, you can absolutely positively round the bend without actually having uh, to feel the unnecessary stress of having all those thoughts pop in your mind about what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it. I talked about a brain dump as a, prior, as a prior point, but this is again a reminder of how powerful that is because what happens is when you take the actual time to write down every single thing that's in your brain, and I remember the first time I did this, and I'll tell you guys who actually challenged me to do this. He didn't call it a brain dump. He called it something else. Was a great agent, a wonderful man in Arizona named Russell Shaw. And Russell challenged me to do this back when uh, we originally met him back in the 90s. It was just kind of a fun exercise. And I remember I started out doing it. Maybe I wrote down five or six things. And then one thing led to another, led to another. And I ended up probably going through half of a legal pad, just writing down all the things that were in my head. And when I started repeating things or thinking I was repeating things, then I knew I was, I was you know, done with the project, done with the assignment. But it was fascinating going through that because I was able to really realize all the little sort of random pieces of, you know, nonsensical thinking that were bouncing around in my brain. And no wonder I was feeling overwhelmed. No wonder I was feeling stressed. And you're the same way because your brain wants to like, you know, a sort of, it needs to have direction. And if your thinking is kind of pulling and ebbing and flowing at your at what direction you're trying to go, I want you to imagine trying to like essentially shoot an arrow straight at a target. But as soon as you release that arrow, which is essentially you in action, all of a sudden the winds start blowing that arrow everywhere and the arrow just essentially flies off in whatever direction the strongest wind takes it. That's the same thing that happens, guys, when you have a bunch of competing thoughts because thoughts, generally speaking, will ignite emotions inside of you. Um, so I want you to consider doing the brain dump. Just write down everything that's in your head. Start by doing it at the end of the day. Um, and that actually will make you feel, I think a lot of you will start to feel a little relieved from that. Now, after you do the brain dump, what you'll realize was most of the things that were in your head will not lead to, I mean, they, weren't, they were totally and completely unproductive. <laughs> Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, the thoughts you had in your head weren't just unproductive, they're actually insidious. They were actually hurting your ability to think clearly. And those were also those random thoughts that you were maybe even bouncing around your head subconsciously. Once they're out in the open, once you're looking at them, then you can say, you know what? Look at that dumb thing I was thinking about, right? Make fun of yourself. I'm gonna choose not to think about that anymore. And you scratched off the list. And so that's the next, when you're doing the brain dump, that's the next side of it. Go through and look for the things that just are were totally random. And when you're going through the brain dump, the key is not to overanalyze what you're writing down. 
Just follow your flow of your thoughts. Don't stop and think about, don't try to give any historical perspective on why you think the way you think or how long you thought the way you thought or don't get stuck in the mud with any individual thought. Just write it all down. And you can write down super personal stuff. You can write down stuff that's just sort of surface stuff. It doesn't matter. Um, and just write it all down. And then when you're done, you can go in and you can with it. And I always, and I, you know, when I do this myself, this is how I, I'm a big fan of the red Sharpie pen. If you guys read our book, Harris Rules, which continues to be a number one bestseller, 400 five-star review, over 400 five-star reviews on Amazon. We are one of our techniques. We teach you and how to essentially close it on a listing appointment. It's called the Sharpie close. Without going into talking about the Sharpie close, get the book. I'm a big fan of red Sharpie pens. And so after I make my list, what I'll do is I'll go through the list and some of the things that are just stupid, I'll just scratch them off. Anything that's left, I'll give it a one, two, or three priority. One is something I should actually worry about. Two is something I delegate uh, to be done sometime relatively soon. And three is something that maybe I just put on the to-do list that maybe gets done eventually or maybe doesn't get done. But what I quickly discover, and this is what you'll discover too, are the number of number ones you have. In other words, the number of things that you have that are an absolute priority are going to be like nothing. <laughs> right? So what you are doing is you're all these other random miscellaneous thoughts. We're essentially dominating the handful of things that are actually really important. And that goes back to what Julie and I teach you guys to do in the coaching program. That goes back to our prior point that I mentioned earlier this week. What you want to do is you want to at least have your morning schedule disciplined. That is old news. Everybody knows that. But the discipline doing what? That's what you have to be very careful of. How you stay disciplined, again, that's another you know minefield. So I talked about that on the prior podcast. I'm not going to talk about that again. Just go back and listen uh, starting last Sunday. But just to you know, give you some hints, you definitely want to stay media-free in the morning. You definitely want to focus on basically the three to five most important things every day that you should be doing. And as long as you basically get those things done and you, you know, just start with three and then work up to five, as long as you control your morning schedule and you get the most important things done in your business every day, everything else that happens after basically 12, 1230, it doesn't, I mean, it could be, it, who cares is what I'm saying. Because as long as you get those most important things done every single day, everything else is going to align. Like, so think about it this way. So it's the end of the day. You're thinking back about the day you just had. How do you feel? Do you feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't get anything done. Oh my gosh, I need to write this down. Oh, I didn't call this person back. I need to go back and do this. Did that form get filed? Did that lead get followed up on? Did this, did, 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 did. okay, that is going to cause you to feel overwhelmed. That is the overwhelmed, as I've said, is basically just disorganized thinking. And you're not knowing, you're not telling your brain what to focus on. In other words, you're back about ready to release that arrow and you know, you know, the arrow is not going to know what direction to go. So it's just going to go wherever the strongest breeze goes. That is this, in essence, what causes you to feel overwhelmed. Your mind wants to be focused. You want to be focused. You want to have a mission. And the mission for you is to really get clear on those three to five things. So again, that goes back to starting with, and if you're starting from ground zero, do the brain dump. It's a great place to start. Number two. Now, Julie is much better at this than I am. And by much better, I mean like professional level compared to me. But keep a journal. Now I have sitting in front of me, Julie and I are actually, we're going to create our own journal, but no way, I'm not going to do it. Too much of a project, <laughs> frankly. The journal that I have right now in my hand is called the Self Journal. And this is the journal that Julie really likes too. It's not overly analytical. It's pretty clear, but I really like it because I watched a video on it. Again, it's called Best Self Journal. Um, 
I watched a video on how it works and it is so perfectly in alignment with, for example, our real estate treasure map. It's eerie. And the real estate treasure map is your fill in the blank business plan. So what would make sense is that basically you get your real estate treasure map done and then you naturally transition to keeping track of your, uh, you know, essentially your achievements on a daily, uh, you know, on daily schedule through your, your, uh, what is it called again? <laughs> Your best self journal. So there you go. Those are that's definitely something you should do. And a couple hints for you too is stop comparing yourself to others while you're on your journey. Compare yourself to the person you were yesterday. And that's a really great concept for the sake of the journal, right? So if you're well, another uh, leading cause of stress and overwhelm is when you start comparing yourself to too much other to other people. And here's the truth, and you guys know this, social networking is essentially basically narcissism rewarded. That's all really it is. And so if you go on to pick your social network, and then you're believing what you're seeing as being real, and you guys have to know by now that virtually all that stuff is fake. What people talk about is their ideal version of themselves. It's almost sort of like a, you know, a video game, some sort of Netflix special where you go into this social networking world and you sort of all of a sudden can digitally make yourself prettier or taller or thinner or richer or whatever it is, right? You always put motivational posts up every day because you have, you know, that's how you want the, that's how you maybe want to be. That's the aspirational version of you. But if you're going there and as yourself and you're not actually, you know, feeling necessarily all that great and you're then starting to compare yourself to other people, then you're just going to basically beat yourself down even more. You're just going to say, oh my gosh, there's something defective in me. So media-free morning, media-free life includes social networking. Just purge yourself of it for 60 or 90 days. Start with doing it for a week. You will feel so much better. Stop listening to the news. Stop listening to cable news. How garbagey has all that become? Just absolutely free your mind of any external influence because all of those things are trying to do, especially news, it's trying to basically invoke a sense of fear. Because when you have a sense of fear, then you don't think clearly. It's going to trigger your lizard brain, basically, your root thinking. And then once you're in that root thinking mode, you're no, you're easily manipulable and you're easily controlled. So that is, in essence, what's happened with the news. And again, listen to a prior podcast from this past week because I really talked about the importance of going media-free and gave you guys some actually fairly good scientific examples as well, if I might say so myself. Point number 11, I just talked about it. Media-free life, also consider a people purge. Uh, now, I'm going to be caught. I'm going to tell you guys a true story about the whole people purge thing. Um, and this is what every single one of you who are on your journey, and by your journey, I mean all of us are on a journey, right? But some of you, and this is a fascinating thought for you, and I've, Julie and I have experienced this before, and we've experienced it through coaching clients. Some of you, whether you know it or not, are holding yourself back from really uh, ascending on your journey too far, climbing your own personal success ladder too far because you're afraid of losing your friends and family, all right? Now, maybe, and, and here's the a couple little, uh, you know, maybe lessons that you maybe haven't learned yet, but I every time I tell people this, I always know in my heart that they already know all these things. They maybe have just not verbalized them. So when you, it's the crabs in a bucket story. I'll just start out by giving sort of a basic example. When you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one of the bucket, one of the buckets, one of the crabs tries to escape, the other crabs are going to grab hold of that, you know, crab and they're going to pull them back in. Now, are they doing it because the other crabs are thinking to themselves, I don't want, you know, Bob the crab to escape or are they just doing it just because who knows, but the example is still valid. And so when you start, if you basically are living in an environment where everyone's a little pleasantly plump, everyone, you know, 
proper attire is sweatpants and sweatshirt every day. And, you know, it's just not necessarily at 40, you're considered basically, you know, over the hill. There's environments like that in the country where basically people have this preset notion about what to experience in life that they never have any sort of counter experiences to know how different that is. And I'll give you a own personal example. You know, when Julie and I started to get out of Columbus, Ohio, and I, I'm not bagging on Columbus, I'm just telling a story. When we eventually, when we started getting out of Columbus, when we were in our 20s, we started becoming successful in real estate, we started doing speaking, and we started getting hired to speak at different parts of the country, Southern California, Florida, East Coast, where there was a lot higher density of people. And at the time, in the 90s, there were a lot higher density of people in the 90s, especially, that were really into physical fitness and really into, you know, the lifestyle movement had started on the coast way before it started in Columbus, Ohio. I'm sure, again, I'm not bagging on the Midwest. Trust me, Julie and I are Midwesterns in our heart and soul forever. But what we discovered quickly was, is that in Ohio, where we lived, when you hit a certain age, and it was usually about 40, you were expected to act a certain way. And that expected to act a certain way had to do with basically acting prematurely old. And I saw that happen, and I still see that happen now, um, frankly, when we reconnect with old friends from uh, Columbus. They certainly don't seem like they were really consciously trying not to be, you know, look old or act old before their time. In the physic, If you start allowing yourself, for example, like, okay, let me finish my story. So when we were on the coast, we'd run into people that would be in the audience or when we'd be around walking around. And this is back when Julie and I were in our 20s. But we didn't realize that they were in their 40s because we thought in our brains, when you're in your 40s, you're supposed to look like the people in their 40s looked back in Columbus, Ohio. Now I'm 40. I am actually 50. I'm going to be 51 in March. And I really appreciated that lesson that we had because what that uh, told Julie and I is the importance of basically having a lifelong dedication to making sure your mind, your body, your finances, your spirituality, your family, your education were always basically being looked after and you didn't allow yourself to go complace be complacent. Because when you have to regain ground, you know, with your physical self or your financial self and you're older, it takes a lot more work, <laughs> doesn't it? Those of you listening, you know what I'm talking about. It's doable. You can do it, but it's a lot harder to do. So when you're actually thinking about the fact that, you know, for example, uh, you're, the people around you, when you start to transcend, when you start to change, when you start to not look and act like they do, if, for example, you decided that you were going to have, um, you know, wanted to buy a nice boat, wanted to buy a nice car, wanted to essentially achieve something professional, how long does it take for your closest friends to start saying things along the lines of, you better stop and smell the roses? I mean, Stop and smell the roses. Okay, I got it. But why would you say that to me after I just told you I'm planning on losing 20 or 30 pounds? Or why would you say that to me when I told you I'm planning on basically, you know, I want to achieve something great in my business this year? It's because me achieving is a threat to you in your mind. Because all of a sudden, I am going to start stepping outside of the expected behavioral patterns that you have, you know, have anticipated for me. But here's the other thing. And this is where this goes back to root level thinking. This goes back to lizard brain thinking. So when you start sensing, just please keep this in mind. When you start sensing, when you're starting to achieve, when you're starting to transcend, when you're starting to allow yourself to become this newer, greater version of yourself, okay? However you define that. And then what you start to feel is resentment 
from usually the people that you would think would give you the most support in achieving your, you know, uh, being on this pursuit of a, a better version of yourself. And they do it in small, little, innocent, you know, trying to help you type ways, like saying, stop and smell the roses and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, what you then start to do is you, your insight, your brain starts to say to yourself, I am getting rejected by my tribe. I'm getting rejected by my friends. And this is a subconscious thought. I am being rejected by my fill in the blank. And then you hold yourself back. That is something that happens constantly. I see that happening constantly with uh, coaching clients. This obviously should have been a different point. Until you're consciously aware that that is going to happen. And if you think back maybe in a previous um, you maybe when you are on a different path trying to achieve something else in your life and you think back, okay, maybe what Tim's saying, there's some validity to it. I do sort of remember people sort of being supportive of me achieving my goal, but at the end of the day, they weren't really that supportive. And maybe, maybe that was one of the reasons that subconsciously I started to lose my momentum because I was expecting those people to be super supportive. Now, I'm going to tell you guys a personal story. I've told this before. I used to tell this story. It made me feel emotional, but it doesn't anymore. Well, it sort of does, but not so much. So Julie and I sold over 100 houses our first year. You know that. Hopefully, if you don't, well, there you go. Now, we were in our early 20s, basically right out of college. Um, and <laughs> before you think we're some kind of business geniuses, let me make that super make this super clear. We didn't actually know how many houses we'd sold because we hadn't been keeping track until basically August of that year. Okay. So um, anyway, we ended up basically breaking all sorts of records for first year home sales. We became a big deal for the National Association of Realtors. We wrote a little book that's no longer around called Zero to Ten Million in One Year. We did a bunch of speaking events, and it was, I mean, frankly, it was ridiculous. So, um, I mean, the attention we got was ridiculous, not what we did, okay? And as far as I know, no one's ever done it since or, uh, you know, or after that because the sales that we did, it wasn't a subdivision. It was, you know, we didn't have anybody in the real estate business. These were one, this was one deal at a time, just like most of you guys are always going to do your business. It was just a whole bunch of transactions and Julie and I just stayed completely drilled down. We did not know what the hell we were doing. We were learning on a job. Does this sound familiar long-term coaching clients? You see, Julie and I are actually coaching all of you from personal experience. Well, we were like, I don't know, overwhelmed again, there's the word for you. But I think, um, yeah, I guess that's the word. And I remember Julie and I thought, well, you know, we got to go out. We were we were driving our, uh, I don't even remember what it was, some little piece of crap car. And I'm a car nerd, as some of you guys know. And Julie's sort of a car nerd by association. And there was a, uh, a certain kind of car that I thought would be fantastic. You know, not so nice that it was going to, you know, make real estate customers mad, but nice enough that it, you know, satiate my car nerdum. So we bought said car and, I, and my dad was a car nerd too. He, you know, passed the virus along to me, basically. So I remember going to my parents' house and I remember pulling into the driveway with this car. Um, and I remember like knocking on the door and then walking back out to the car with Julie so we could sort of present it. And so my parents would be proud of us. And I remember my mom opened the door and she didn't know what it was. I mean, she was just being a good mom. And I remember my dad walks out. He doesn't even walk out onto the porch. He basically opens the door. He looks at the car. He knows what it is, closes the door. And then that's the last I heard of him for a year. I mean, almost exactly 12 months. And then even after that, the relationship was a little bit sketch. So why did he act that way? And I didn't, look, I didn't stop to say, well, I guess that was weird behavior. I'm not going to succeed. I'm not going to continue to sign the following year. We sold more houses and made more money. So I didn't let it slow me down. But why did he act that way? Why do you think, listeners? Why do you think? 
Have you had situations similar to that? I still don't really know. I can only guess. He was jealous, probably, because the reality of it was when I was growing up as a kid, we were always poor. We never had any money. You know, that's what poor is, right? I didn't need to say that twice. <laughs> and uh, there were many Christmases without Christmas presents. There was many, you know, situations where obviously more money would have made things better. And that goes back to some of my core root software of knowing, for example, that there is no nobility in being poor and that it is better to be rich than it is to be poor. And yes, you still have problems when you're rich, but there are a hell of a lot better problems than the problems you have when you're poor. So he was uh, essentially, I think, at that time, not willing or not ready to see his son perhaps earn more money than him? I think that was the obvious answer. What, what else is there to come up with? But really, as my uh, as I've gotten older, I also have realized what it was, was he saw me a certain way. And he put me in a certain you know framework in his mind. And by achieving what we did, because he didn't know we did it, I wasn't really telling him about the real estate thing. Like I said, Julia and I were just staying busy and keeping our heads down. We didn't actually stop to add up how many houses we sold until the year was almost over, you know, August or September, whatever. So, you know, he didn't know what we'd been doing. We didn't know what we were doing, frankly. We then bought this car. It was a way of celebrating and he wasn't there to celebrate it with because how he emotionally reacted to seeing us accomplish that particular goal. Now that's kind of a fascinating, I think maybe, maybe it's a, you know, emotional for some of you guys understand the context of that. But in many ways, you're going to experience or have experienced things that are very similar. Now, here's what you do in situations like that. You do nothing, okay? Because it's not you. It's definitely not you. It's them. What you do is you stay the course. What you do is you understand that eventually those people are going to come back in your life and you're going to end up being a beacon for them. You're going to end up being somewhat of a role model for them. And that's what happened in a way with my dad's relationship. But I saw that happen. Same thing happened with other people in our lives as well. There were a lot of people that were, you know, I think surprised and shocked when they started seeing Julie and I's for sale signs everywhere. And they weren't congratulatory. They didn't say anything to us. They just was like, holy shit, what's this Tim and Julie? Why are they, how is it, what's going on, right? I mean, all this, all this happened because we were really drilled down and focused. And all of you can be too. I mean, real estate, if you want to succeed in the real estate business, you don't have to be smarter. You don't have to be taller. You don't have to be thinner. You don't have to be younger. You don't have to be anything. You just have to basically outwork the next guy. And that's what we learned. And that's the essence of our philosophy and our coaching business as well. And a lot of people aren't willing to basically work hard, let alone outwork the next guy. And we were, and we still are, and we always will be because we saw what comes from that sort of, you know, that sort of effort. But over time, here's where the fascinating thing is. Some of those people that maybe didn't summarily reject us, but didn't embrace what we had done, they have circled back in a year, two, five, six years, 10 years, doesn't matter. They circled back and then they started asking us how they could get into real estate. They started asking us for advice on what they could do. So without knowing it, what we had done is over time, we had become beacons for them. And even though that wasn't our original intent, that wasn't our original goal, but that's what happened. So the same people that maybe didn't celebrate our success with us that we figured would have, that would have been proud of us, that really weren't at the time. Eventually, they came to be proud of us. But more importantly, eventually, they came to want to emulate what we'd done because they then had given, they maybe in their mind said, well, the goofballs, Tim and Julie can do it. I can definitely do it too. Maybe it wasn't selling real estate. Maybe it was something else. And so that was an incredibly important lesson to me because had Julie and I, and I realized all this obviously years later, that's the, you know, the benefit of hindsight, right? But had Julie and I been dissuaded 
by that incident with my dad, for example, or some of the other things that happened. I mean, we had a lot of other, the industry in a whole in Columbus, Ohio, when Julie and I hit the market there, where they, a lot of those local agents were not thrilled to have us as competitors. Trust me, <laughs> they did not like us being in the marketplace because the market was the way the market was. And all of a sudden there are these outside people, you know, even though we were from the market, right? Even though we we're from the neighborhood, all of a sudden we were shaking things up and they didn't like it. And they all wished we'd burn ourselves out. They all thought we were going to basically have sophomore slides or oh, da, da, da. but we didn't. We kept our heads about us. We stayed on mission and we still are. And that's the miracle of real estate, by the way, because Julie and I were just, you know, we had college loan debt. Our motivation, if you want to know our motivation, our first year in business is we wanted to pay off our student loans, which we did in our first year in business. We earned enough money. We paid those damn things off. I'm going to tell you guys a funny story about that. I'll tell you a funny story about that because it's Friday. So student loan books back then were their payment vouchers, right? So you got these stupid books. If you guys are our age, you'll know. <laughs> we got these stupid payment book repayment books and every single page was like heavily laminated. And I don't even know what it was laminated with, but you, again, some of you don't even know what lamination is. It's like when you take a piece of paper and you put a plastic coating on it. So Julie and I had, there was probably like six payment books and we'd saved up enough money from our real estate transactions so we could pay off our student loans. And so we went in our uh, the backyard. We had we had already purchased our first house. We actually purchased our first house when we were 22 and 23. Um, and we went to the backyard of said house. We dig, dug just a little bit of a ditch and we threw those damn student loan books in there and we sprinkled uh, lighter fluid on those student loan books and threw a match on it. And those SOBs did not burn. I kid you not, they did not burn. <laughs> They were coated with something that basically wouldn't allow them to burn. Isn't that just exactly like a student loan book not to burn? Doesn't that, I mean, that was a funny, I just thought that's a funny story. We eventually got them to burn though. They they didn't stand much of a chance to our, our determination to make those go away forever. But that was our motivation, the original, our first year in the business. And after that, we you know created other motivations as well. But the biggest one was, is we got such a thrill out of helping people. And now we didn't verbalize it that way at the time, but it was so much fun helping, you know, essentially real estate customers, sellers in particular, sell their house. It was great. It was such a feeling of accomplishment. You know, taking somebody who was sort of like all, you know, a seller who goes through all their emotional roller coaster and then going through the whole process and then, you know, being with them at the end of the process. That's awesome. I mean, that's what a blessing real estate is. But here's the other thing. Again, this is a, you know, sort of walk down the uh, memory road here um, is that real estate is an amazing business because it costs nothing to get into. All you've got to do is come up with less than a thousand dollars to get your license. You got to join national association, your local board. That's basically it. So you can start a business where you can essentially have an unlimited amount of income for what? Thousand bucks, 1200 bucks. That's pretty incredible. There are not too many other things like that in life. Matter of fact, you don't need a college education. You just need a high school, uh, what is it? High school degree. You get a high school degree, you can go and you can get a real estate license. And then with said real estate license, you can over your lifetime earn millions and millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. Isn't that amazing? Can you think of anything else like that? Legal anyway, <laughs> in this world where you can have that kind of uh, freedom, that sort of level of self-determination. That's a miracle, guys. That's a blessing. Do you see it like that? Do you feel real estates like that? Or has it become something else? If it's become something else, it's probably because you are feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling unnecessary stress. It's probably because you do need to go back and listen to the podcast. Oh, see what I did there? Since last Sunday, so you can sort of clear the emotional decks. Now, I'm going to give you guys uh, two more points. What the hell, right? 
Control your environment. Your subconscious mind is always working, thinking, plotting, worrying, and planning. If you live in an environment where piles of crap dominate, you can tell I wrote this, right? Dominate, uh, of course, you're going to feel overwhelmed. Your physical environment is a direct reflection of your internal thinking about yourself. That's, a, I think, last bit is very powerful. So if you're walking around in your environment right now, just look to see where you are. If you're in your car, if you're, you know, in your house, you, does it look orderly? You probably, so your conscious mind has gotten used to the disorder. If I were to walk in your house right now and I were to, your office or your car, would I think it was clean? Would I think, or anybody, I'm not saying me in particular, I'm not the you know, the bearer of cleanliness. But if I were to walk into your environment, would I say, holy crap, how old is that? Or why do you have that award from 1976 still on your wall? Or why do you have a, you know, an, a poster from your insurance guy or wall calendar from your insurance guy from two years ago? Why do you have this? Why do you have all these business cards on your wall? Why would I be in your office right now uh, seeing constant little piles of crap? Is that how you're living? Well, so your conscious mind has gotten used to it, but your subconscious mind knows it's still there and it's causing you to feel overwhelmed. You know how it is when you're driving down a freeway and you see a billboard, you know, it's a new billboard, you see it once, maybe you see it twice, and after that it gets integrated, it just becomes part of the landscape, you never see it again? You know what I'm talking about, right? That's the same thing that's happening, but here's what you maybe don't know. Your subconscious mind is still reading that billboard every time you drive past it, advertisers, psychologists know your subconscious mind is reading it, even though your conscious mind is not reading it. But in your environment, if it's a bunch of crap piles, basically, and goat paths, as Julie's fond of saying, your subconscious mind is feeling overwhelmed and stressed, even though your conscious mind is used to the environment. So give yourself a, an opportunity to uh, you know, go to Home Depot, buy some con uh, contractor's garbage bags, and these are the big ones, and then throw a bunch of crap out. And the same goes with your clothes. The same goes with your closets. The same goes with everything. You're going to have some downtime over the next two weeks. You might as well hit the hard reset on your environment and give yourself a break. I seriously want you to consider doing that. Point number 13. This should be an obvious one. I won't have to belabor this one too much. And we talk about this again in our book, Harris Rules, especially the first point. This is one of the things Julie loves talking about. Increase your sleep and cut the booze. So here's a little thing that's fascinating. Cut your alcohol consumption. So a lot of people, and I, Julie and I love being the contrarians of sort of institutionalized ways of thinking, think they think better when they drink, or I'm sorry, sleep better when they drink because um, they have more lucid dreams. But here's the reality of it. And these are sleep studies that have been done numerous times. When you have maybe even two glasses of wine or something at night and then you go to sleep, it takes your brain longer to get into REM sleep so that in some cases, if you're going to sleep eight hours, for example, which all of you should be, um, if you sleep eight hours because of the alcohol consumption and your body is busily trying to basically digest the alcohol, it does not allow your brain to go into deep sleep or even mildly deep sleep. And so the reason you think you sleep better when you drink before going to bed or, you know, what have you, is because you remember the dream because it took your body that long to get into the dream state. So normally when you go to sleep, it might take your body, who knows, 45 minutes, an hour, uh, if you hadn't had alcohol. And you lay there, your body goes through the different stages of falling asleep, then you're asleep, then you're in deep sleep. That regenerative sleep is actually one of the healthiest things you can do for your body. There's no question, you know, the fascinating things um, from a scientific perspective is, again, Julie and I research this for our book. 
They don't know whoever they is, right? The scientists don't know why people sleep. Isn't that fascinating? But we do know if you don't sleep, you die. How about that? If you don't sleep, not only do you obviously have mental you know, impairment, but your physiology starts to change. You start to develop more, you're prone to develop more diseases. You're, so the, the old thing, you know, old sayings where there's some sort of, um, you know, people would brag about, I don't need to get much sleep. I only sleep two to three hours. Well, you know, good luck when you, you know, kick the bucket on your 37th birthday, right? I mean, or good luck when you develop all kinds of problems because your body wants you to sleep. Uh, I don't need as much sleep as the next guy. There is a minority of people, like a tiny percent, that don't need that much sleep. And they don't have any sort of uh, side effects from not sleeping that much. But most of us, like 99% of us, we need eight hours of sleep. And here's another fascinating thing. If you have inconsistent sleep, like if you're not sleeping enough, your body is going to eventually start uh, uh, making it so you don't have as much motivation. You don't have as much clarity of thinking. You don't have as much of everything you want in life until you catch up on that sleep. So in other words, you cannot shortcut or you cannot shortchange the amount of sleep that your body needs. It will make you pay. <laughs> okay. So in alcohol makes it so that you don't get as much sleep. You don't, you might be laying in bed. You might be thinking you're sleeping, but the reality of it is you're not getting the type of sleep that you need to get. So I strongly encourage all of you to cut back on the booze. Cut back on you know alcohol in general, not to mention what we talked about before, which are the unnecessary carbs from uh, eating, or I'm sorry, from uh, drinking too much booze. All right. So you know what? I'm going to hold point number 14 uh, until probably Sunday. Um, we're going to do this. And I think Julie and I are probably going to take the week off for the podcast next week because of Thanksgiving. So along those lines, um, I want to thank all of you guys sincerely for being part of our lives. This podcast has been a centering thing for Julie and I's day. We look forward to doing it. I know Julie hasn't been on the podcast this week because she's been doing her CE, which by the way, she's taking her final test today and she'll have her license CE completely caught up. Miracle of miracles. Um, but this has been a, this is a centering thing for us. This also allows Julie and I to try out new content that we're thinking about doing for uh, future books and just different things. So I really appreciate and I feel collaborative with all of you. I really do. And obviously, my wife does as well. We feel that this podcast is a collaboration between uh, you know, us and you guys because we're all sharing this journey together. See, that's kind of the thing that I think you need to remember. I need to remember is that we're all in a big a community, right? We're all on this planet at the same time. We're all experiencing the same thing. All of, we're all having the same feelings. We're all having the same thoughts. We have the same fears. We have the same things that all of us are, are essentially a big community. When you listen to this podcast, when Julie and I are doing this podcast together, um, I'm imagining in my head what motivates me as if we were standing in, we were maybe sitting around a campfire with friends. And, you know, obviously I'm less preachy in those environments, but you guys get the idea. That's the type of conversation we're trying to have with you on this podcast, where it's inclusive, where we share with you maybe some things that will help you. And you guys then email us back and you, you know, text me occasionally and maybe give us some suggestions on things that might help us. I love that. This is a sense of family that uh, you've allowed us to basically manifest, which means the world to us. So thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate agents. Do me a favor. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. 
I don't know how the iTunes algorithm works, but I know that if you guys give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast, it actually, um, their algorithm, their system makes it so that more people then are exposed to the podcast and more people subscribe. So please help us basically to fulfill what our mission is, which is obviously being of service to all of you. You guys are the tribe that we choose to be of service to. Your customers are the people that you choose to be service to. Help us do our job so we can continue to help you to help you to do yours. Hopefully that makes sense. And again, if you guys want to talk to us about joining our EXP family, all you've got to do is text me at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. We're probably going to do another show on Sunday and then we're going to take the week off. Have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. Thank you.